Good morning. Dan Matthews. Come on. Good to Dan is an elder in for those you, of you that don't know, he's also an, he's an elder in Josh Jen. Um, and, and a great teacher. And I was just reminded then, years back when I was still on drugs in the church, we had a meeting in the fishbowl, and um, a men's meeting, and I still didn't want to come to that meeting that, that, that evening. And I said, Lord, I feel so insecure. You know, I'm busy with, you know, struggling with drugs, and I don't want to, I'm feeling so insecure, I don't want to be amongst all these other men. And um, I felt the Lord said, no, well, you know, you're doing this for me, go anyway, even though you don't feel like it. Do it for me. And I, I went just for the Lord. I wasn't interested in seeing any other oaks. There's rebellious spirits in me. I wasn't. And we got into little groups and we were praying. And um, Dan was in my group. And we had to feel things for each other in the Lord, you know, in the spirit. And Dan said to me, Dex, I feel the Lord saying, He's working on your insecurities from the inside out. I was like, Yo. And I think I started to cry. <laughs> but the Lord heard my cry. He hears our cry when we cry out to him. And we bear our weaknesses and we come to him um, humbly. It says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I, still, I still felt something for Dan that day. And I said, Dan, I see a teacher on your life. He said, yeah, I'd love to teach. A nice teaching. It's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, so there were three things. <laughs> you can have some fun. There are three things that I wanted to speak about this morning, and one is that God has called us. There's a calling on our lives. And, but that He hasn't only called us, but He's also anointed us. He's empowered us. But with the calling and with the anointing and the power to do what He has called us to do, whatever that is in each and every one of our lives, there is something that always comes against that, and that's the attack of the enemy. And he likes to prevent us from walking in everything that God has called us to do for him. Even to prevent us from seeing him. And what has come through a lot this morning is God wants us to see him. Because when we see him, we will do more for him. We will love him more. We'll be able to worship him more. And one of the areas where the enemy comes to attack us it's actually the last thing I wanted to talk about, but just the words that have come now, I want to just speak about that now quickly, is our thoughts. How the enemy comes and he allows us to think certain things. And when we, when we think these thoughts, and when we believe these thoughts, we don't see God anymore. Because we begin to believe them, we begin to entertain them, and we begin to actually, the anointing that we have, and the spirit that we have, it begins to be tarnished, it begins to become dirty, and then we don't see the Lord anymore, we don't want to do things in the Lord anymore, and those thoughts I think the Lord is wanting to deal with in all of our lives this morning, so Kegon shared a word this morning in the prayer group, and, and when she shared that I actually you know, began to, be, to become a bit tearful, and she quoted Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, and it says and that every word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It's still not up there. <laughs> That's all right. And it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And when the, when the word of the Lord comes, 
He reveals stuff in us so that we can deal with those things. Those deep thoughts in our heart and those things in our mind that he wants to come and remove that are a hindrance to him. The very things that we think. And sometimes we deal with the surface things and we deal with our actions and the things we do on the outside that people can see. But inside in our minds we are thinking all sorts of stuff. Now it's the job of the enemy, it says in Ephesians chapter 6, that he shoots arrows, poisonous darts into our minds. He's permitted to do that. He's allowed to do that. The Lord allows him to do that, to lie to us. And it says in Judges that the Lord allows the enemy close by in our lives to test us, to see if we'll obey him and do what he says in his word that we must do, but also to teach us warfare. Hallelujah. So if you didn't know you were a warrior, now you know. I just went off track now. What is this saying? <laughs> Where am I now? But he, yeah, he, he's wanting to train us in warfare, but and, you know, and to deal with our thoughts. And let me just go straight to so many thoughts. You know, it says in Ephesians that those thoughts come, and it's the enemy's plan to put us off and to prevent us from doing things for the Lord and to prevent us from seeing him by the very thoughts that he puts in our mind. And I've just experienced in my own life over the last couple of weeks how so many thoughts, I was coming under attack with so many thoughts and about guys in the eldership team with me, about family, about friends, how people see me, who I am, am, am I going to get anywhere in the kingdom, is this, is this it? And I just wasn't hearing from the Lord. And so I was crying out to the Lord and I said, Lord, would you please, would you please take this battle away from me? Because I'm battling so much. There's just so many thoughts flooding, coming into my mind. I don't know if you have been there before when so many thoughts come into your mind. For some men, it's, and even women, it's sexual thoughts. For other people, it's just negative thoughts about who you are. For some of us, it's how people think about us, how people perceive us, what they, when we speak, how do they react? What are they thinking about us? All these thoughts, and, and I tell you, there was just a flood, and I said, Lord, would you please take me out of this battle? Because it's just so much, I don't want to be in this battle. And in that moment, I, I felt the Lord say to me, I'm, I don't want to take you out of the battle, but I do want you to ask me how to get through the battle. I, I want you to ask me how to win this battle with me. Many times in the Old Testament, the men inquired of the Lord, how do we get through this? And he would tell them. And so I said, Lord, how? How am I going to get through this? There's just so many things that are coming and just putting me off and just making me upset and despondent. And, and I was reading through Isaiah at the time, and I'm reading through Isaiah 55. And I get to verse 7 and 8. And it says, they let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Just there, and I, and I paused, whoa. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And in that, the Lord was saying to me, you, the thoughts that come your way, you entertain them. You entertain those thoughts. You allow those thoughts to be in your mind. You allow those thoughts to be in your heart. You're believing some of the thoughts. You're playing with some of those thoughts. You're even having arguments with some people that are not even there. <laughs> that happens. Thanks. 
some water. Oh, I've got water there. Oh, I'll have a double portion. Thank you. <laughs> you know, sometimes you're having arguments with people and because you know you're going to meet someone later on, maybe um, your boss or a leader or just another brother, you need to tell him something. You already know what he's going to say. You already know what you're going to tell him. And by the time you get there, you're like ready to fight. And then he says to you, hey, I love you, bro. But I realized, I realized in that moment that, um, let's keep this cap off. I realized in that moment that I'd been entertaining so many thoughts. I'd been entertaining so many thoughts, allowing so many thoughts to be in my mind, negative thoughts about myself, about other people. And the Lord was saying over here, forsake those thoughts. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I had to come to the Lord with all those thoughts. I had to come and I had to repent before him. And then he goes on to say, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. And I, re I, I read that verse differently and saw it differently for the first time. The Lord was saying, the thoughts that you think are not my thoughts. You thinking these thoughts, but my thoughts are not the same. And if our thoughts are not the same, then we don't have unity. And where there's no unity, there's no presence of the Lord. There's no, there's no anointing. There's no power. There's no walking in the more. Because your thoughts are actually keeping you from the Lord. The very thoughts that you're thinking. And I realized, wow, there's so many that I have to deal with. And on that day, I began to deal with those thoughts. And I said, Lord, how? And he said, take every thought captive. I want you to take every thought captive. And now I must say, I've been taking a lot of thoughts captive in my life. And as a Christian, you know, as a man, you want to take every lustful thought captive. Or maybe, you know, also depending on your background, you, some, some of us were maybe a bit violent or, or rude or whatever it was. But we, we, we take those thoughts captive. But then there are some thoughts that I hadn't been taken captive. And um, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And I realized that as these thoughts came, and as I began to take them captive, that there were so many. I realized, sure, there's a battle going on here. There's a lot of thoughts that I have to take captive. It's not just these thoughts or in some categories in my mind, but actually there's deeper thoughts. And there's things that are deep down that the Lord began to reveal that he wants to deal with. And as I began to take them captive, I realized that my flesh, my sinful nature, wasn't very happy. My sinful nature is like, chill, you're not used to doing this. You're used to just having those thoughts and believing them and going with them. And actually, that's what the devil wants. That's what the enemy wants because it just prevents you from doing, doing the more for the Lord and from seeing him more. And I realized there's so many thoughts that I'm dealing with and my flesh is not liking it. The sinful nature is not enjoying that. And that there began immediately to be a different type of battle inside my body where it says in the Bible that the spirit is against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And it became very, very uncomfortable uh, for me. Um, but I began to do it. And it's a process in all of our lives to take every thought captive. It's an old saying, and there's you know, um, the battlefield of the mind and all these books, but actually there's a, a doing it, allowing, and I think that's something that the Lord is wanting to teach us this morning, that we would allow no thought, no negative thought. 
Even now I might be thinking, what are these people thinking <laughs> about me? What are they thinking about themselves? I'm, see I'm seeing your thoughts. <laughs> but really that we would take every thought captive, everyone. And that we would allow no thought, we would allow no provision for the flesh, no carnal thought, no horrible thought to come into your mind. One of the things about insecurity is when you think bad about yourself and you think what people think about you, you become insecure and you, you, you begin to be unsafe. And I found that in my own life that when I get into certain um, circles or social settings, I become very insecure because on the way there I've had so many thoughts. I've entertained so many thoughts. What are the people going to think? Even in the eldership team, I've had that. What, what are they going to say about me? You know, if, if I voice this, how, how do they see me? And um, because I've entertained bad thoughts. And so, but as I began to, and I want to share this with you, just a little testimony. So as I began to take every thought captive, I've been saved for several years, and I'm an eldership, and the Lord's like, yeah, you might be taking those things captive, but these ones I want you to take captive. Every negative thought that you've been entertaining, I want you to take everyone captive. And as I began to do that, I began to see a bit of a breakthrough because it felt like nothing was good was happening in my life. And so last week, Saturday, um, I went on a bike ride. Oh, so, the Lord actually said to me, you need to replace those thoughts. You're thinking this way. So every time that negative thought comes, you can't just ignore it, but I want you actually to replace, re replace it with something. Put another thought in there. It says in the Bible, everything that's admirable and admirable. That's four syllables. I struggle with more than three. <laughs> and every thought that is good and pure, think of these things. And I thought, what can I think of? And I actually paused for a moment. I'm like, sure. I'm not used to this. My mind is not used to always thinking the best. But it's amazing that when we come together, those thoughts go. Because there's a, a, a power amongst us and a presence and an anointing. Um, but when we are alone or when we are at home. And so the Lord said, now I want you to put another thought in place. And I began to, for myself, I began to, I, I began to picture praying for somebody out on the street or at church praying for them and just seeing like the power of God come on them and their lives are transformed. It's a nice happy thought. And just seeing them smiling and being happy and their life has changed now because God has done something amazing. And so th these were my thoughts. And I couldn't think of many others but <laughs> this one thought I hold on to. And I went for a bike ride that morning out to Rive Castile. And when I finished having my coffee and that day I went back to the parking lot and there was a guy there um, a parking guard from Zimbabwe, Petros is his name, and um, I called him over and um, gave him a little tip, and I told him about Jesus. I said, do you know Jesus loves you? And he said, no, well, he actually said to me, three people have told me that. He first paused and he looked at me and said, three people have told me that. You're the third person. So I said, oh, well, it's time. And I began to preach the gospel to him, and I told him about, you know, eternal life and and we prayed together, and right there, um, he made that choice to give his heart to the Lord. You know? And so that the Lord was coming, and he was actually rewarding me, um, and in a sense saying to me, because you have entertained the right thoughts, because your thoughts have been good, this is the fruit. Come on, Come on somebody. And uh, it was a reward for me. The second thing, on, on the same day, we had Nick Fiumingo's 21st um, birthday party to go to. And actually, I enjoy, 
I must say I enjoy preaching to the church, and I enjoy it. It's something that I've always desired to do. Even this, most Sunday mornings, it's like a bit scary. But um, you're trusting in the Lord for His power and His anointing and His grace and just seeing lives changed. And it's so beautiful. But to be in a social setting around a table with a couple of families, it's not, it's not very comfortable for me. It's not the way I grew up. You know, I trust the Lord in this setting, but I haven't always trusted the Lord in that setting. And the reason why is because I've always thought bad. I haven't thought bad really for when I come up here. Because I'm just trusting in the Lord. But over there, I haven't, I haven't had victory there. So, but this whole day, I'm taking every thought captive. It's so uncomfortable. And around every corner, another thought comes. You know, it says in the Bible that the Lord takes us from glory to glory. He takes you to this degree. Of, of your, in your spiritual life and then he works with you a little bit there and he says, no, it's time to make you shine a little bit more. And then he takes you there and he deals a bit more with the deeper thoughts. And um, so anyway, I go, we, we go through to Nick's 21st and I find for the first time, really, in my life and in Josh Jen, I'm able to speak to every person confidently. Because there's no bad thought in my mind. There's no perception of how people see me. Nothing. Because I haven't entertained any thought. If one has come, I've, I've dealt with that thought. I've taken it captive. I've crucified that thought. And I find that I'm able to talk to people I'm normally sometimes a little bit afraid of. And you know who those people are? Elders. And it's peep, my peers. And it's guys that are more have more, they're more senior than me as an elder. Men like Cliff. <laughs> I mean, Cliff loves me. But I think because of the way I grew up, I was in many institutions, eight schools, three boarding schools, several prisons. Um, <laughs> those institutions too. <laughs> and so there was always something with authority that I was afraid of. Always scared of hidings. My father used to he used to give me massive hidings. Hit me with bats and all sorts, and a shambok and all sorts of stuff. He used to, like, really, I was scared. So when I used to come into school and boarding schools and then prison and then, and then the church. And then there's fathers in the church. And it's Father's Day today. And there's fathers in the church. And there was a, a fear. As I come to these men that are called to shepherd me and to love me, there's a fear of what they're going to do to me. A fear. So, you know, I trust the Lord in some areas, but when it came to, I think, the fathers, it was sometimes difficult because I had a, a, a skewed vision of what a father's like. So as I would come into meetings, I'm not saying I'm t I've totally arrived, no, definitely not, but as I would come into meetings, I would be a little bit afraid. How, how is this elder, my fellow elder, how is he going to deal with me? You know, is there, is there, in the back of my mind, is there punishment? There's, how does he see me? Is like, like my own father? But as I dealt with every thought, I was able to speak to every elder there and every person, man to man, and just like sons and beloveds in the Lord. Because, and it's the thoughts that come and that we entertain and that keep us insecure, that keep us down there. 
and keep us being not good enough. Now, that might not be for all of you, because some of you are like, have got heavy anointing. But the, <laughs> no. But we, in all, I think in all of us in different areas, there are thoughts that the Lord wants to come and you know, actually say to us, deal with these thoughts. Don't let these thoughts rule your mind. Don't let them have a place there. And so I was thinking just of, over the last couple of days, this story kept coming to me about um, in Ezekiel, the one prophet in the Old Testament. Ezekiel. The Lord said to him, I want you to go to the temple in Jerusalem. That's in the Old Testament. How many know in the New Testament, this is the temple where the Lord wants to come and dwell and live inside of us. And he says, I want you to go to the temple and look at all the abominations that are going on there. All the evil things, all the thoughts that are being entertained that nobody sees, but he sees. Every negative thought, every, every abomination. I want you to go. And so Ezekiel goes there and he sees all these bad things, all these thoughts. And it says they are creeping and crawling things. And then he says to Ezekiel, I want you to make a hole in that wall. And I want you to look through that hole. And he goes and he makes a hole in the wall and he sees the elders of the church doing all sorts of bad things. Now this is nothing towards the elders. And in that, the Lord is saying to us, there are things in our heart that we need to deal with and thoughts, but there are things even deeper that he sees, the deep abominations of our heart that he wants to deal with. Because he's our father and he wants to cleanse us of all those things. And he wants us to deal with him. We have a responsibility to take, as the word says, to take every thought captive. And I want to say that it's an exercise, it's a practice. We don't just come and, Lord, come and take all these thoughts away. But his Holy Spirit will come and help you to deal with those thoughts. And to take them captive and to not allow them to be there. And not allow them to come and fester in our minds and our hearts and change who we are as his children and so he really wants to come this morning with all of us and deal with the vilest thoughts and even the, the thoughts that don't seem too bad but the deep creepy and crawly things he wants to come and deal with this morning and you know one of the first things that Jesus well what, what he came to preach in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, just after the Holy Spirit came upon him, this was his message. His message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that word in the Greek, repent, materio, the pronunciation, but it means to change your thinking. Not just, I'm doing these bad things. Now I'm going to be doing some good things because those are works. And good works are good. But he's actually saying, change your way of thinking. That's a repenting. That's really turning to the Lord. Coming to him and changing your way of thinking. And it's an action that he wants us to do. In Acts chapter 3, 19, it says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out 
and at times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That word repent isn't the same as change your way of thinking. It means stop. Basically, it means stop your sin. And so when we begin to deal with these things, when we begin to deal with the very thoughts that come and plague us, there's a refreshing that comes. There's a newness that comes. There's a calling of God that comes in your life that you begin to see and you begin to see more clearly. Amen? Cool. That was my third point, so now I'm going to the first point. <laughs> okay. Sure, that's a lot of notes. This is for a weekend conference. <laughs> but I wanted... What, how long... Sorry, I should have put a watch out there. How long have I been... Can you... Okay. Must I just go first? Sorry. Just bear with me. Of, yeah. So I wanted to share this with us this morning, that we are called. That God has got a calling on our lives. That he has called each and every one of us. And so when, this, um, when Andrew came to speak to us from Friday and Saturday, it was like from 9 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon, with a couple of breaks in between. But sure, it was so, it was, I said last night I have to go have a shower and just wash off all the blood from all the, the word it says is, you know, a double-edged sword. It was just cutting deep. And, uh, but one of the first things he said is that God is looking for laborers for his field to bring in the lost. He's looking for laborers for his field, which is the world, to bring in the lost. And you and I are those laborers. You and I have been called. And God's got a calling for us. And however that might look in our lives, whether it's just to be part of a community, whether it's to tell people at the workplace about Jesus, but there, there is a, a harvest out there and there is a world out there of people that are broken, that don't know the Lord, and He is calling you and I, He's got a calling on our lives to work in the harvest, to work in His field, the world. Amen? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should walk in that which He has for us. I want to say, if you're sitting here today and you are saved, it's not, we are not saved just to come, on, come here on a Saturday and to have community on a Wednesday. But He's got a special purpose for us, a special calling. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 8 to 9, it says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. He called us to a holy calling. I want us to know that this morning, that the calling that the Lord has given us is a holy calling. It's a calling that's set apart to reach the lost, and we do all have a part to play in that. And I think one of the things that prevents us from having the heart and the desire to reach the lost, to be laborers in this field, is that we don't, some of us don't actually know what, what we've been saved from and, and where we could have gone. 
Some of us have grown up in the church, and that's, that's lovely. I remember when I got saved, I was, I mean, I'd been a drug addict for many years. I was in and out of prison, and I cried out to the Lord one day. I said, God, if you are real, will you please help me? And he, the next day I was in a men's home, in a Christian men's home. And my life was just changed there. I had no desire for drugs. There was just so much anointing and so many... Um, there was just so much anointing in that place and so much power and the presence of God. And I began to read my Bible for the first time. Um, and, and actually, the Lord was speaking to me through his word. And I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't a week. And I went out. The, the, this home was in Kelsover. And we went out to a location called Serepta in the evenings. And we used to go preach the gospel there. And we were so amped for that. And we were so hungry and excited to do that. And to just go tell other drug addicts and the gangsters in that area... Um, about Jesus and what he's done in our lives just in the, in the few short weeks. And there was just a hunger to do that because I knew um, what I'd been saved from. And I knew that I was saved from just a horrible life. And I knew that I was saved from hell. And I knew that people are actually going there. And Jesus said that um, there's a weeping and a gnashing of teeth for those that don't know him, those that will ignore him and reject the calling him calling them into his kingdom. And so for me it was, sure, I need to tell, tell people about Jesus. I think for all of us it's just to, to know that. That God has called us to reach the lost. He has called us. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, there's a young man, his name is Jeremiah, and the Lord calls him. And uh, he says to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. In other words, I set you apart. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, we might not all have the, the office of prophet, but if we're telling people that Jesus is coming back, we are prophesying. <laughs> no, we are prophesying saying Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for his church, and that's where you need to be, in his church. And I, I look at this, this, this man's this young man's response, and he says, Our Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. And for some of us, you might be saying, I'm only a youth. For some of us, you might be saying, I don't know your word so much. I'm not theologically tested and proven. I don't have the gift of speaking to people. Or I'm too shy. Or I'm scared of what people are going to say, Lord. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth. Do not come to me with any excuse. Why? Or to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. To deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. In other words, the Lord put his spirit on him. The Lord put his spirit on him and he said, Now you go. I've given you of my spirit. And so what I want to share with you this morning as well is just the anointing of the Lord. And what the anointing is to us. I spoke to a young man a while back. We had a coffee. He's been in the church for many years. And um, one of the guys came up to our table, a, a waiter, and I began to speak to him about the church and Jesus, and then we prayed for him, and something just happened in this, in this young man's life. 
And I said to, the, I said to this, this young man that's in our church, he's not here this morning, um, I said to him, do you understand that what happened here? I mean, I said, it's the anointing that we have. And he looked at me. I said to him, do you know what the anointing is? He said to me, no. I said, okay. I said, do you know that you have the anointing? And he said to me, no. I said, okay. Then we began to speak about the anointing. And I opened up a couple of scriptures to help him. But then I realized also that there might be some of us here that don't know what the anointing is and don't know that you actually you have the anointing. And sometimes we hear about these things, but we're not quite sure. And the Lord will come and just remind us again that not only are you called, not only are you called, and specifically I want to say this morning, to be laborers in his field, to reach the lost, to bring people into his kingdom, to bring people into his church and into his family, but also he has anointed you. He has empowered you to do that. He has given you the anointing. Can you say amen? amen. Fantastic. So before I go there, I want to say this. That we, like in the days of Noah, a big flood was coming. And it was going to wipe out the whole world. And Noah preached the gospel. It says he preached the gospel. And I think it says that it took a hundred years to build that Am I right? A hundred years to build that ark. It was a big ark. But he, he preached that gospel. He, I think he was 900 and odd when he, when he died. But um, he preached the gospel. Because he, he, he knew that a flood was coming. He knew that God was coming to punish. He was coming to deal with sin. And eight people were saved. Now, thousands of years later... There's another type of flood that's coming. God did say with the rain, but there'll never be another flood like that again. But there's a different type of flood that's coming. There's a time of judgment when the Lord is coming to judge all the earth for their sin. And we, in a sense, are, we are in God's ark. A spiritual ark. We are in His fortress. We are in His protection. We are in His house. We are in His kingdom. But even as we are in that ark, we look out at a world that's drowning actually in sin, that's going to hell. And our job is to say, hey, come into this ark. Come into this ark where it's safe. Come into this ark where there's eternal life and where there's a Father who loves you. Amen? Cool. Let me get to... Yeah, so I wanted to just say this. That we might not all have the gift or the talent like Dan to teach or like Cliff to take people into the nations, into Africa and minister there or like to some of you to, who, who have some of you ladies and men who have gifts of hospitality, and some of you women here that are, are prophetic. Now, we, we might not all have the same gift and the same talent. We might not all be like Andrew. But there's one thing that we do have in common that we all do have, a ministry that you and I both have, that the Lord has given to you and me, and a ministry that he has given to us and that we must be responsible in and that we must grab a hold of, and that is this, it's the ministry of... 
Yes, reconciliation. In other words, the ministry of pointing people back to God. We are His ambassadors, the Word said. We stand in the gap for mankind. And we say to man, there's God. You must come to God because He loves you. He's your Father. He wants to be your Father. Amen? We have this ministry. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 to 21, it says that because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. Sure. We have a fearful, I want to tell you this morning, we have a fearful responsibility to the Lord. The Apostle Paul understood that and he said, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I know that there are people, if the flood's coming, and I know that people are going to drown and die and be separated from God for all eternity, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. If I keep that to myself, whoo, I, I need to bring people into the ark. Amen? And I think that's, so a fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. That's an encouragement from the Apostle Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, saying we work hard to persuade others to come. There's a, something inside us that says, I need, to, I need to persuade others. I need to convince others. I've got this ministry of reconciliation, and I need to persuade people to come and get what I have, and that's salvation. There are two guys that were in this church. I've been trying to persuade them for years. One I keep trying to persuade, and he keeps, he was in the church, and he experienced the goodness of God, and I keep on trying to persuade him, and he still hasn't. He still hasn't come into the church. And even though you've got God's power and anointing to help you with this, there are some people that will reject you. They rejected Jesus, who was the greatest preacher, and full of the power of God, and if they're going to reject Jesus, they're going to reject you. So just be prepared for maybe the first 20 people to reject you. <laughs> that's okay. But then there's another man that hasn't been in the church for years as well. He was in this church. doesn't matter what church he was in, but he was a Christian. And, and, and um, he walked with the Lord and he experienced the Lord in his life and he turned away. And I've kept on trying to persuade him every now and again. And I made contact with him. A couple of times I've made contact with him and it's, been, it's ended up in... In harsh, harsh language. And I was rebuked. You're supposed to be a leader. And <laughs> sure. And I felt so bad. But then I went back a while later and we got together again. Then it was outside pick and pay. You're supposed to. <laughs> I saw you at Josh and you were wearing one of those when I was in the kids' church, one of those aprons. But look at you and just accusing me. And, and then a short while ago we had um, a meal at his house. Jeez, I had to pray up just to, just to be able to go there and speak to him. And I was wondering, how's it going to end this time? And uh, I went there, and he just ended up crying. He was just in so many tears. Things were just messed up. It was a Tuesday, two Tuesdays ago. And um, he said, well, you know, I can't come to church. I'm working on Sundays, but I could come to community sometimes, maybe next week, Wednesday. So I said, no, maybe tomorrow, Wednesday. And I picked him up, and I took him, I took him to, um, to Joe and Tony's comp. And, I mean, he's been slotted in there now, and his life is starting to change again. Because there's, a, there's an urgency in our hearts. 
and there's a, like it says here, a persuading. Are we persuading people? You know, are we really, are we going the extra mile for people? Because we are living in the ark. We have all the fruits. We have all the goodness. We have all that we need in Christ Jesus. We have wonderful leaders and fathers and mothers in the house. People that are full of the Spirit. You know, are we persuading? That's a question to ask yourself. I don't know what you do in your, in your spare time. How are you praying for people? How are you praying for the lost? How are you ministering? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But just a good question. Am I persuading others to come? James chapter 5 from verse 19 to 20 says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Um, let me just carry on reading. So, because we, have, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. From 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Just want this word just to wash over us a little bit. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry <laughs> rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. When I read that early in the week, I was like, I am working, I'm living sometimes for myself. It, even, you know, it says, in, Andrew mentioned a word a while back, um, I'm not sure what book it was, about the shepherds of Israel feeding themselves. And sometimes we do that. We feed ourselves. We are in the ark. We are eating lacquer. We're coming to church and we, you know, we've got all the fruits of what we're doing. We're paying our tithes and we're getting a return. And we are, hallelujah. You know, it's going well and we're living for ourselves. But we no longer live for us. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. How differently we know him now. Now that he's called you to work in his field. And when you, I think when we've received all his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy and his blessings, we know him different. And we see his heart, actually, for the lost. We see his heart for those that are still out there. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. You know that this is for all of us. We have this ministry of reconciliation. And he gave us this, it says, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. 
this wonderful message. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. When we meet people. Sometimes our families are just so difficult to reach. My mother, who's, no, she's not saved, but every now and again, last week, again, or this week, beginning of this week, no, last week, Sunday, I said to her mom, and her health is quite bad, I said, if you die, I want you to be right with God. You need to be right with the Lord. He wants you to be right with Him. I'm not preaching a hole in fire and brimstone. That was the week before. <laughs> sure. <laughs> But I'm saying to mom, I want you to come into a good place and, you know, I want you to know the Lord and he wants you to know him. And we plead, even if we don't see fruit right there, we keep pleading. We have the responsibility to urge people, to plead with people, come back to the Lord, come to the Lord. So we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we would be made right with God through Christ. And then I want to say, what is the time? Is it? Sorry? Okay. We've got another 40 minutes. No, joking. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. And then what I'd like to speak about is, um, if that's okay with you, <laughs> I'd like to speak about the anointing that the Lord has given us. Because he doesn't only tell us to go and do things without empowering us. It's like saying to a car without petrol, or some, you, know, you give somebody a car, and there's no petrol in there, and you say, go, I want you to go pick up some boxes and drop it off there. It's like, there's no power here. How can I do that? And the same with us. The Lord won't give us things to do and commission us and make us and say to us, hey, you're a minister of reconciliation and not give you the power to do it and not give you the authority to do it. So the anointing, when God brought his people out of Egypt, the land of slavery, where they had been in, in, in um, slavery for like over 400 years, he brought them out into the desert and he, he began to build a tabernacle a place where people could worship God, where God's presence could be housed. That was before the big temple and eventually in the New Testament before churches and before this temple. And um, he, said, he said to Moses, I want you to, I'm giving you a recipe to make some anointing oil. You put some spices in there, a couple of herbs <laughs> and some things and some oil and there's, there's going to be this oil and I want you to use this oil as an outward expression what you'll do with this oil is you'll, in the tabernacle where they've got the table and the place where you make sacrifices, I want you to take this oil and I want you to pour it on certain objects. And when you pour it on that object, it means that is holy and that's dedicated to the Lord. It's for my purposes. And then I also want you to go and anoint Aaron, Moses' brother. And I want you to anoint the priests because as you pour the anointing on them, it means I've set them apart for a specific purpose. And when he did that, the Lord did something on the inside. It was an outward expression of what God does on the inside. And he gave them his spirit to do what they were called to do. And as we go further in to the Old Testament, we see that it comes to the time of the judges, 
when, when Israel was under a lot of oppression, when they were oppressed by the enemy. Did I say earlier on that the Lord allows the enemy to be close to us? And it was at that time when the Lord said, I'm leaving the enemy close to my people to test them. And sometimes he would allow the enemy to oppress them because of their sin. But then what would happen is the Lord would raise up a man amongst all his people, one man. And he would put his oil on him. He would put the anointing on him. And then that person would bring about great things. He, he would do great works for the Lord. And the very first judge in the book of Judges is Otniel. And the Lord says, I put my spirit on him. And the Lord put his spirit on him. And he was able to deliver the people out of oppression. And so with all the judges, they, they got the spirit of God, the anointing. So the anointing was, you put oil on the head, but on the inside, it was an outward expression. But on the inside, the Lord would do something supernatural. The very first king of Israel, Saul, it says that when the anointing came upon him, when Samuel poured oil on his head, his heart changed. He became a new man instantly. He became a new man instantly, and he actually went to go and prophesy. He wasn't actually a prophet, but it was just a sign that you've got my anointing. The next king, King David, when he received the oil, when Samuel poured the oil on him as the second king of Israel, it says that the Spirit of God was upon him. And from that day on, until he became king, which was almost 20 years later, he did great things because the anointing was on him. Amen? That's basically where, what I wanted to just share with you um, about that anointing. And in the New Testament, it goes on to speak. Now, be between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the last prophet, the anointed one, set apart to hear from the Lord and to speak to the people, God's people, was Malachi. He was the last prophet in the Old Testament. And between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was a time of 400 years. And then came a new anointed person and speaks about John the Baptist. He was born with the Spirit. He was anointed in the womb. And he came to preach a message of repentance to the people. And the people were convicted to the core. And they came and they, and they turned back to God. Because they heard a man who was anointed to preach the good news. And I want to say that you are anointed to preach the good news. All of you. And, but he also preached and he said, There's one greater than me that's coming, of whose the thongs of his sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he's going to come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then Jesus did come. And then Jesus, who was after John the Baptist, he was the anointed one. Um, and he came to proclaim his ministry and to speak about his ministry. So after the Spirit of God came upon him, he went into the temple. And in Isaiah 61, you see he takes an old scroll out that was written about him over 700 years before he was even born and he reads it and he says basically saying this is my ministry this is what I'm going to be doing and he says Isaiah 61 from verse 1 but it says the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. 
That was his mission. And he knew that he'd been anointed. He'd received the holy anointing from the Lord to do this. Because without that, even though he was Jesus, he wouldn't do that. But he had to, he had to, he had to have the anointing. And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to the Father. And I want to say that because Jesus went to the Father, he could send his Holy Spirit down for us to be anointed. And it says in 1 John 2.20, I'm coming to an end now, in 1 John 2.20 that, that you have the anointing. 1 John 2.20 and verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. What is actually meaning there is we do need teachers, but before that he's talking about false teachers. When those false teachers come, you'll know that it's false because you have the anointing in you. Amen? So I want to just, as we close there, as we close there, I want to say that the Lord has called us, but he hasn't just called us to be laborers in his field and to reach the lost and to be a, a mouthpiece for him, but he has also anointed us. You have the anointing. If you didn't know, now you know now <laughs> that you do have the anointing and we must not waste it. King Saul wasted it. He was disobedient. Men like Samson wasted it. He went off to women and he squandered the inheritance. But I want to say this morning that you and I, we have his anointing. We have been empowered to do what he has called us to do. Amen? But I want to say this. As, as, we, as we come to a close, a, a close now, because now we, we, we are finished now, but I want to say this. Even though we have the, the authority to do what he's called us to do, and we have the anointing, and we have the power, that can be damaged with our very thoughts. It can keep us from doing everything that our thoughts can keep us from everything that God has called us to do. Can we close our eyes? As we close our eyes, I want to... I know that some of you, or many of you, and all of you, actually, you want, you want to be that minister of reconciliation. You want to reach the lost for Jesus. You want to count. But there might be things in your lives that have been keeping you. And you're feeling a bit guilty about those thoughts that you've been entertaining about yourself, about other people. Those thoughts have just made you messy. They've just made you messed up. And you haven't really believed the fact that this, Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you. You are, and on Father's Day, I want to tell you, he's your father. And he loves you. And he's got works for you that he prepared before the foundations of the world that you should that you should walk in them. And there are things that are preventing you. Years back, there was a prophetess in the church, recognized internationally, and she was in our church. And I was actually praying for that couple the one day. And I wasn't on leadership, I wasn't on eldership, and I prayed for this couple, and I, I was thanking the Lord for them, and, and I was thanking Him for the anointing, and as I was praying that, I just saw like this dirty car oil come on them. And I felt that the anointing that they had was filthy, it was dirty. And I shared that with the eldership, and, with, with, and they shared with Andrew, and they recognized that. 
And the same word I got at the same time for this couple, and it would help them, I think, in the future, I hope it did, was that the story of Elisha, how there was this pot of food, and all these students that were going out and were throwing things in, and one of the students, by mistake, wasn't intentional, by mistake, he threw in some poisonous gourds, and it messed up the whole pot. And the man of God had to come and throw some flour in there, and the prophet came, and the pot became clean again. And I think for some of us this morning, we might have that poison pot because of our very thoughts, the things we have entertained, idols in our lives. I'd really like to pray for us. So, Lord, thank you for your word this morning, Lord. And thank you that you are, are calling us. That you are calling us, Lord, to be laborers in your field. Your word says very clearly, Lord, that you come and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that you are making your church spotless and clean, Lord God, so that the nations can come in. Not just clean on the outside, but clean on the inside. Our very hearts and our very thoughts, our very minds, you are cleansing, Lord God, preparing your church for the nations to come in.